Hey everyone, welcome back to the Saxa podcast, the first five years. I'm one of your hosts, Agassi Rodriguez at Clemson University. Hi everyone, happy Friday. This is Erica Aguiar coming at you from the University of Florida. I almost said good morning, Agassi, but it is 347. Is, so Florida, in a different, is Florida in a different time zone than South Carolina? No. Recently? No, I think the panhandle is. Oh, <laughs> the panhandle is, the panhandle is. Either way, it is afternoon for everybody. Yes, we y'all so, got a, a spe- y'all got a special sneak peek of our guest just a second ago, and we will introduce her in just one moment. Uh, but we are good. We are thriving. What's today? Friday. Friday. Oh, Friday. We're good. We're 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 very good today. What about you, Erica? Agassi, I'm so excited, and let me tell you why. Okay. Today, I went to Publix. Oh. And I rented a rug doctor. Keep going. And I'm going, going to steam clean my home. This is adulting. <laughs> I'm so happy. This is 28, everyone. Uh, 28? Well, yes, 20. this is 28. Okay. On TikTok, I'm on rug cleaning TikTok, and they drag it, and then it's just like dirt and gross stuff, and I am thrilled. This is my weekend, and I'm so happy. So that's how I'm like just, I'm riding the high of that. Also, the fact that who has rented a rug doctor in the last 10 years? How many people? It's me, and it's just <laughs> Erica, I feel like there there has to be at least one other person to have kept them in business this long. They had three in there. I was surprised. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, keep us posted. Uh, make sure to post that content publicly for all the fans out there um, on social media. We want to see... Know. We want to see the before and after, you know? Oh, yes. I'm going to video a little boomy, little boomerang of me. Mm-hmm. A little, a little boomy. <laughs> a little boomy. I don't know what sound it makes. Well, everyone... <laughs> Welcome to the first five years, sponsored by Rug Doctor, um, sponsored also by Saxa. We're so excited to be here again, to be the voice of student affairs, new professionals, graduate students, undergrads, and talking about the things that matter to us and the things we care about talking about. And as always, we hope to bring you timely information based off of the calendar year and providing a public's voice for our graduate students and new professionals in the field. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, all you really need to know about Jen is that she can talk to you about sourdough bread for days. Aside from that, you can usually find her watching baseball, teaching her partner how to cook on Instagram, or hanging out on her island in Animal Crossing. She is originally from Northern Virginia, but now lives in Tampa, Florida, where she has been working at a, as a student programs coordinator for new student connections at the University of South Florida for the past year and a half. Before the move, she attended Virginia Tech, where she received her bachelor's degree in human development and completed her master's graduate work at Clemson University. Please welcome Jen Lowe. Hello, everyone. Hey, Jen. How you doing, Jen? Great. You know, here on this Friday afternoon, learning so much about rug doctors that what more could you ask for? I mean, it's it's the Friday content you all are looking for. Exactly, exactly. You may not have signed up for it, but here it is. I was about to suggest that Lil Boomy could be a, 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 a new a name for, for a, a rapper, an artist. And I remember there's Metro Booming. Um, the, yes. Or is that no, a song? No, that's a I song, don't. not an artist. Oh, I was like, I, I have not heard that. I'm not down with the kid. Erica's alter oh. ego is actually Lil Boomy now. No, you know my, you know my alter ego. 
No, we're not revealing it to the podcast <laughs> yet. Damn it, in the end. Well, uh, today's episode, we have brought Jen Lowe here to talk to you all about student transitions and student connections. And we're really excited about today's conversation. But as always, Erica has a question for all of us. Well, my first question, Agassi, is I sort of cut you off earlier and I didn't get my challenge word. And I know I want to give the people what they want. So what's Erica, my challenge word? Erica, you are so good. You are so good. Everyone, she's great. She's a keeper. So your challenge word, very true, because now it's me forgetting to do the challenge word. So keeping up with the autumnal and fall theme, we're going to go with haystack. As in, okay. rides, yeah. as in a ride it through some haystacks. Through some haystacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the autumnal theme because it is 84 degrees in the great state of Florida. So it makes me feel like maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe, but, maybe. you know, finding I'm, fall in Florida is like finding a needle in a haystack. That was stop, an easy one. Stop. I, we're gonna go, we'll work harder for it, but I had to throw it in there. Okay, so Jen, what is the best thing you ate this week? That is a great question. Um, for me, this past weekend, I drove out towards Lakeland, Florida, and I went to this kind of outdoorsy courtyard place, very millennial junkyard vibes. Um, and there's this place called the Poor Porker that has these giant beignets. And let me tell you, they really changed my life because they put this like maple syrupy thing inside of them with like the little bacon bits on the outside, just rolling around and all that goodness with the powdered sugar. It really is worth the trip, everyone, if you happen to be out in this area of Florida. Then you change your life. Yes. I do happen to be in that. I can do this. I can. You should definitely do it. It is very worth it. It's funny as you bring some wipes though. Okay. As you were talking Perfect. about, as you were talking about the beignets, all I was thinking was like, the only way they could be better is if there was some kind of filling. And then you immediately started talking about the maple. And then I was like, oh, what if there was bacon? And then you started talking about bacon. I was like, oh my no gosh, way. it's literally, listen, maple bacon donuts. Have you ever had like maple bacon donuts from Duck Donuts? Yes, oh. those are the best. I don't, but the never beignets, from Duck Donuts. They're warm. They were like almost the size of my face. Just really getting I, in there. So I highly recommend I have a soft spot for food as big as your face, just generally like an elephant ear, a funnel cake. I don't know. Oh, we also do love elephant ears. You very much yes, so. I think oh. they're better than funnel cake. Fight me on that. Yes. Okay. So my best thing I ate this week was last night. So I, uh, I guess maybe you could call this, uh, almost maybe some stress eating anticipation. I made a baked ziti last night which I'm very proud of. It turned out really good. And what I love about baked ziti is that it, you you make it once and you it's so much. Uh, I do have to say I was inspired to make baked ziti because during our prep call with Jen, she mentioned how she made pumpkin lasagna. And I was like, I need to make some kind of gooey pasta dish that goes in the oven and comes out great. So I did it. I carbo-loaded in anticipation of the presidential debate um, because you know, who knew how that was all going to go? So I just I needed something good in my system. Uh, I also watched an episode of The Good Place, uh, which is way too much information, but a lot of good things uh, coming our way before the presidential debate and you know, uh, our, the state of our democracy. What about you, Erica? I am sort of going on the other end of the spectrum from you all. Um, so it's been a particularly stressful week, so we've talked about this. 
And that coupled with trying to will fall to be here, I made my favorite soup that I make, which is a kale and white bean soup. And it's so easy. It's just like kale, onion. I added chicken sausage this time and then a whole lot of white beans and it keeps so well and it reheats well. And I like to think it's very healthy, but sometimes I add a lot of bacon. So um, health, I don't, bacon is not healthy or unhealthy. Food has no inherent value, but it's just like warms my stomach, which is sometimes not great when I eat outside and it's 90 degrees, but um, yeah, that's the best thing I ate this week. And it was a particularly good batch this time. So I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you, girl. Thank you. Be proud, be proud. Well, folks, thank you to everybody for sharing what they ate this week. For our next section, instead of doing a rapid fire section, we thought it'd be a little fun to bring our producer or rather our producer thought it was fun to come onto the pod. Uh, we know he loves to be a part of this and we know he wanted his moment in the sun. So Miles is actually going to hop on and he's gonna share some would you rather questions uh, that we will all respond to and discuss as a group. So introducing our producer, Miles Surrett. Pew, 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 pew. It's a bunch of haters. Um, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad that these aren't nice. Um, okay, here's my first would you rather. Um, would you rather live your whole life with the countertops in your home made of soft cheese or with your shoes made out of granite? Okay, first question. Countertops made of soft cheese, is this replenishing? Can I eat the soft cheese? <laughs> that same question, same exact question. I think, I think so I, I considered that. The answer is yes, but not at like a regular clip. So I think you're going to have to deal with some rotten cheese in your house. That's like a thing that's going to have to be a part of your life. So like sometimes this is good, maybe. I mean, you still have to like cut things on soft cheese, um, which I think would be challenging. But um, yeah, so sometimes it's good, but I think sometimes it's really bad. Helpful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'm going granite shoes. I'll just go barefoot like if I need to. But like I'm choosing granite shoes because I very sensitive nose over here. So I'm not doing smelly cheese. I also don't particularly like most soft cheeses. So I know, I know that's a controversial opinion. All right, Jen or Agassi, what are your thoughts? I was also going to go with the granite shoes, mostly because in my head I said, you know, I could wear just really thick socks to create like a nice soft barrier between my feet, granite shoes. I think my calf muscles or just like whatever leg muscles would probably have to be pretty built up after this granite shoe situation or I guess leading up to it but I think I would much rather have the shoes than the cheesy counters. I'm also going to swing into the granite shoes territory. I was literally thinking the same exact thing Jed about my calf muscles by maybe like week two out of this world out of this world. So I'm going to go to the granite. As a lover of soft cheese, it does hurt not to have the countertops, but I think the idea of, you know, it not replenishing at a regular rate scares me a little, but a good baked brie. Ooh, hello. That's where we're at. Ooh. Great answers, everybody. I've got all on the same page. I think it'd be a pretty fascinating exercise to try to bake your countertop. Um, okay, here's my next would you rather. This is my last one. I think it'll transition nicely to our next segment. Um, so to honor a couple of your institutional affiliations, um, would you rather try to ride a bull or be chased by an alligator? 
Uh, so Okay. Maybe this is my inner Floridian or outer or just my Floridian. I don't know where it is. Uh, I would go the alligator route because all you need to do is run in zigzags. That's the most important thing about alligators is you run in zigzags. Uh, not that I have any particular experience running away from alligators or crocodiles for that matter. I'll just loop them in there. But the trick is you run in zigzags because they have trouble doing zigzags. They go, they work better when they're in a straight line. So I would go alligator. I was also thinking potentially the alligator route. I will say that in my limited year and a half here in Florida, I still have not seen a gator yet, knock on wood. Let's hope that that doesn't happen anytime soon. But um, I think from when I first moved here, everyone said, all you need to know is the zigzag. And so I feel a little bit more equipped to do that than riding a bull. Jen, if you just want to like pop on up to the University of Florida, I can point one from my window in my office. Um, so. We can make that happen if that's part of your Florida bucket list. Y'all, I'm going bull, and here's why. I can't run. I waddle. This has been an issue for my whole life. I don't bend my knees when I run. So even if I'm running in a zigzag, I'm going to be that person who just trips over. And then I'm eaten. At least with a bull, like you throw me off, like I get hit, but I'm away from you. I'm going to make more distance when the bull bucks and throws me than I would running away from an alligator. You know, it's all about acknowledging your own strengths, right? So and running is not one great. of them at all. The important thing is if you were in a group of people, you wouldn't have to be the fastest one running from the gator, just faster than the, the slowest person running away from the gator. Yeah, no, I think that's typically me though. Well, little slow girl over here. Miles, I love these. Thanks for asking them. Thanks for our new segment. Thanks for changing it up, Miles. You're so welcome. Um, I thank you for uh, letting me invite myself. Um, next time, maybe we won't do Would You Rather. Maybe we'll continue this conversation and I'll read you a really delightful children's story named Ferdinand the Bull. You may not be. <gasps> yes, uh, I've heard. Is yes. it based off of the movie or is a movie based off of the book? Which chicken and egg? Which one? Oh, gosh, I didn't know. I think it's book. I think it's book to movie. Oh, okay, book to movie. It, yeah, there's the 80 years old, so I think that it's probably that. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, Gina, Gina Rodriguez is in Ferdinand, Ferdinand the Bull? Yes, I think so. Perhaps. Well, thanks so much, Miles. We appreciate it. Maybe we'll be bringing back uh, Miles back in the future. Uh, please let us know in the comments in the like section um, if you would like to see more Miles content. Now it's time, I think a perfect transition for Agassiz's favorite section. Name. That. Scott. Boom. That was good, that was good. That was, that was good. We'll, we'll see if it timed well when we actually listen to the recording. So everyone, welcome to Name That Scott. Of course, this is where I get to ask our guest and Erica to correctly identify an institution based off of its mascot or a mascot based off of an institution. As always, all the institutions we are talking about are in the Saxa region. So away we go. This first institution has had a number of mascots since it's establishing or founding, but its most current mascot is the Patriot. I know what this one is. I'm, well, I, I'm kind of confident, I guess. Go. 
I'm not now even I'm confident because I was so confident. So it's then like, I don't um, even know what, I don't even know what state go for got it. Got it. I think that you were referring to George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, we are. And I did forget wow. to mention a, a second ago, both of the institutions we are talking about are in the state of Virginia. So if that helps you localize a little bit, but yes, George Mason University established in 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia, the largest four-year institution in the state of Virginia, actually. So when I mentioned that I had several mascots, they've gone through quite a number, actually. So they've, <laughs> before the Patriot, they had a mascot named Gunston, which was a furry green uh, figure. They had a, until 2009, they also had the Mason Maniac, which is their original mascot. They had a gorilla. They had a Patriot that they then re retired to bring the gorilla. Um, and now they have the Patriot again. So quite a journey in the world of mascots. And I love, I love the pic the old pictures of the original mascot because it's, it's quite a, quite a figure, quite a figure. Hey, go George Mason. I love your journey. That feels very Alexis Rose of me, but I love that for you. <laughs> so our next institution is, I will give you the mascot. They are the Trojans. Can you use it in a sentence that maybe features the institution's name? Or then like, I got nothing. Maybe though. we can buy a vowel or something. I'm not <laughs> really sure how. Uh... It is one of two land grant institutions in Virginia. William and Mary. No. I knew it wasn't, but that's, that's the only school I could think of. Yeah, I was going to. Uh, is it Virginia State? Ding, 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 ding. Virginia State Great. University. Virginia State University was founded in 1882 as a public, historically Black uh, university, and it is a land grant institution. It is also the first fully, uh, fully state-supported four-year institution of higher learning for Black Americans in the United States. Go Trojans! I know, the more you know, that was great. Go Actually, Trojans. those were good. Thank you, thank you. Jen, I know you were a little worried about this competition, but you blew me out of the water, so congrats. Thank you, thank you. I was very nervous. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks everyone for playing. Now, of course, we get to transition into our conversation today, where we will be talking to Jen about student transitions. So first and foremost, Jen, if you could just give us a quick overview of your role and what you do at the University of South Florida. Yeah, so um, I work as a coordinator in an office we call the Student Connections. And um, the way that I usually describe it is we are kind of the second leg of the journey that students take when they are transitioning into life at the University of South Florida. So um, students go through orientation and that is a separate office. And then I work in the student connections. And so really helping with that transition and retention side um, of a student's kind of experience at the university. Um, so what I mostly do is I do a lot of the kind of community building um, and smaller programmatic pieces. So um, I oversee a program that helps students uh, make connections with other people by their affinity groups. So whether it be racial identity or first generation status or even their interests. So 
sports and wellness or if they're interested in the arts and all of those cool things like that. Um, and then I also oversee um, kind of a strategic initiative that we have where we outreach and call and coach all FTIC students, so all first-time in college students at the University of South Florida. So um, I supervise a team of students who go and make those calls to every single first-year student and just check in at key times throughout the semester to make sure that they're getting everything that they need. So that's pretty much the, the bulk of the work that I do. Jen, on our last episode, we talked a lot about what you kind of mentioned this connection piece and how important that is in this first six weeks and how much that's been affected. So can you talk about some of the ways that the work that you've done has really shifted while you know going virtual? And I, can you remind us uh, what USF sort of, what you all are doing right now? Because I know not every institution is fully virtual or fully in person or anything. Yeah, so I'll start with some good context. So the University of South Florida is um, in kind of a hybrid phase where students can take classes in person if they're pretty small, or they can take a hybrid course where they just go in maybe once a week and then do kind of a flipped classroom situation virtually, or a lot of students are taking almost all of their classes completely online. Um, and then in terms of the student services sides of things, so any kinds of events or programming that are being conducted um, by any department on campus all have to be virtual. So there are no formal or organized events or programs happening in person this semester. So um, I think kind of what you were getting to is this idea that transition looks completely different um, than it has been in the past. Um, but I think on the flip side too, a lot of it has stayed the same. So with um, the work that I do, we do that kind of individual outreach to students just to check in and see how they're doing. And it's been kind of cool because we've actually been able to see that the different trends or the topics that they're bringing up throughout the semester are pretty similar to all of the semesters in the past as well. So um, they are having academic concerns or expressing those concerns around the same time or around the same week as they would have in the past, or they're expressing um, this feeling of loneliness or isolation around the same times as they would in previous semesters, but it obviously manifests a little bit differently now because our services are virtual and the resources are virtual now too. So um, for us, it's been a lot of just trying to get students connected to those different pieces and really just helping them find even where to find the information about it because they are being inundated with so much communication right now that it is so hard for any student, even myself as a professional on campus to be able to figure out, okay, you are expressing this challenge. Where do I need to connect you to at this time? Um, so it's really just about coordinating communication and making sure that we are giving students the most accurate information as possible in that like one limited interaction that we actually have them for because um, sometimes it's hard to even get in contact with the student. So we gotta take advantage of those like few conversations that we actually have with them. Thanks so much, Jen. And I, I really appreciate what you said that, you know, it a lot of it has changed, but a lot of it is the same. And I think, you know, I have so many students who are telling me, you know, I, yes, my classes are online, but I'm still sort of expecting or wanting a, a college experience. And, and the, the way that we're doing it is slightly different, but I think that the want 
the I just want to meet new people. I'm on my own for the first time, you know, pending or, you know, saying that they're here and that they're just trying to find other people who like the same things and who have shared values. And that is, it's always going to be a thing, but um, it is, it is different. And I, I constantly am grappling with this idea of, well, oh my gosh, how do we do some of this? And, and I think we're doing it, but it is just such an interesting, um, sometimes I just like take a step and I'm like, what are we actually doing? Like we are, you know, all these times I used to have students come in my office and cry and now I have to do it via Zoom and how thankful I am that it exists, but also like, oh my gosh, no one ever thought that this was gonna happen. My Friday afternoon ramblings, but. Yeah, well, and that's a really good point too, because I feel like in some ways I've become more accessible now than I was before too, because students can, or some of my student employees can just message me and say, hey, like I'm having a really tough time with this, or hey, I just talked to the student who's having problems with this. And then instead of having to walk them somewhere or trying to figure out where they can physically go on campus, I can do like, a quick message over to one of our campus partners to say, hey, I have a student who could be interested in something that you have going on in, in your team or something along those lines. And so some of those connections have actually been able to happen a little bit quicker in this setting because we've been forced to do everything virtually, but some good things have actually come out of it too. And I'm so glad you talked about that accessibility piece, Jen, because that is something, when this even all started, I think in March and, you know, I not with any kind of idea of how long exactly I think we would be in this, I guess, like modified operations area of, of our of our careers, of our, you know, of our seasons, of, of what we do. But I have constantly kind of thought back to this idea of like, you know, what has become easier with the moves to online? Like what has become um, easier for students to access or to do? Because I think now so many um, students who, you know, are online, who have chosen to have an online option for Clemson, because Clemson gave students an online only option for the fall, who, you know, if there are things happening on campus that they're so on campus programming, how do they take part in that now when they've elected to stay off campus because of whatever reasons they may have. And I also wonder what is this going to do to shape, you know, our fields and our thoughts on accessibility and being able to like have these touch points because you know one thing I, I've noticed in these conversations about the online is that people view online as this very new very you know very unexplored territory but like online learning has been happening for a while now I mean we have institutions that are really good at like producing online content and designing online courses and you know a lot of the conversations have been well this isn't great this isn't as good it's like well understand that a lot of these institutions have had to pivot onto these services. It's not, there wasn't, there was planning, but it wasn't sufficient enough planning to make it a, a, an, uh, an experience that has been uh, revolutionary because it's like, okay, well, you know, the semester's ending soon. We got to, we just got to figure it out. Um, and one thing, you know, you were also talking about, Jen, was just the, the, the trends that you see from the students facing. I, I've also seen very similar where students are, you know, at, at the core of it, they're still looking for that college experience that they signed up for. You know, where are the, the clubs and the organizations? Where are the fun events? Where is meeting my best friend as a roommate potentially who's gonna be in my, my wedding down the line? You know, all these like little pivotal moments that we, that have been created in reality, you know, in society of like, this is what college is gonna look like. And then you get, you know, with the students who've arrived at our doorstep, it's like, okay, this is not anything of what, people told me college was going to be like, and not to anybody's specific fault, but obviously due to the impacts of the pandemic. 
Yeah, that's all definitely something that we've been seeing as well, of just students still wanting those experiences. And kind of going back to your accessibility piece um, as well, I think something that we've also been able to see is that a lot of students who maybe were not as eager to get involved with different clubs and organizations or go to an event by themselves, um, they're more likely to attend some of these virtual events because they feel like it's so much more approachable to show up to an event where you can turn off your camera but still get the great information or potentially message someone in the chat who shares something that you want to connect to. So we've actually been trying to look at really cool ways to help students connect with each other by use, utilizing these virtual kind of settings that we have um, when they probably wouldn't have been able to utilize those different pieces before or maybe too nervous or hesitant to attend these large events before. And also um, probably some good context is that USF has a pretty high population of commuter students um, and a high population of students who work during kind of what your typical 7 p.m. student organization club meeting is or event time and all of that. And so it's been really cool because sometimes at events you'll see a student pop in and say, hey, I'm just sitting in the parking lot before I clock in for my work shift, but I just wanted to hear this information or they're able to access the recordings later on. And so um, we're actually seeing that there's cool ways that students are able to connect in ways that they probably wouldn't have been able to do um, in an in-person setting. And, you know, one thing I think that's come out of this that, that I'm really, I'm sad about, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, is, um, you know, we're doing all this and we're like, oh my gosh, we're coming up with innovative things. And, and I really am proud of, of some of the programs I've seen come out of multiple universities. We have had online students for how long? And we're just now, because it's become such a prevalent topic, saying, oh my gosh, how do we keep them engaged? Because I know that for our office, um, you know, none of our students in the program that I run are online just because so much of what we do is in person. But we've always tried to make accommodations if a student is learning from home um, due to whatever reason. And now I'm like, wow, what a difference it is to say, yeah, you can zoom in or, you know, we'll figure it out versus creating fully accessible learning environments and opportunities. And I think many universities have great online programs, but now I think we're putting them together that you don't have to sacrifice a student experience because of an online degree. And, you know, we might have touched on that in another episode, I, I can't quite recall, but it does just make me sad to think all these students who online education is the best route for them that have are now like, okay, well, you know, I'm glad that we're figuring it out, but you know, my first two years here, no one considered this. And I just think that, you know, that that's a, a sort of positive that I think is coming out of this is that larger consideration for online learners. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, um, it has just been cool to see how are we establishing things now that we can bring forward with us whenever things start to become more in person or how can we continue to factor in some of those different pieces to make them more permanent fixtures in our programs and the way that we just conduct life in general. Um, because in my opinion, at least, I don't think it's gonna be a quick like flip back of everything's on in person all of a sudden and everything like that. So we are going to be in this phase of kind of an in-between where there are gonna be a good amount of students still doing things online and then a good amount of students who are on campus. So how do we bring them all together and find ways to connect with all of them and still provide 
really great services and support for everyone across the board. And so much of that, Jen, I feel is, is also just the, the educational piece for students on how they can also do those programs. Because, you know, as someone who works with student organizations, I know the conversation is, you know, what, what can we do? Can we reserve spaces? Where can we reserve spaces? And I know we've offered resources, we've offered workshops on, you know, this is how to program online. This is how to use Zoom in a manner that's not just, hey, I'm going to have a Zoom room and, you know, you just come in because Zoom is a tool, but it's not, the, it's not a solution. You have to have something else coupled with that in order to make it an experience that's going to be worthwhile, that's going to be impactful, um, but also educating students and, you know, hey, like we all, you know, the acknowledgements, like we know things are weird. We know things are everywhere. We know there's so much uncertainty in the air, but we know that we can do X, Y, Z things and we're gonna help you do these X, Y, Z things because student organizations, you know, at the, I, I know Miles has talked to us a, a lot and we've, we've had a lot of conversations about the, the, the idea that our work has never been more important in connecting students and connecting students to each other and connecting students to the institution, uh, even though it looks different, you know, behind some screens at times, but the idea that our roles are still to make sure that students transition successfully, because as someone who works in with student organizations, a large part of my role is sense of belonging and helping to create that community and sense of belonging and to connect students so they can feel that community and they feel like, okay, I'm a Clemson, I'm a Clemson Tiger. And like, I'm proud of that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, and some of these students are doing this, you know, like, I mean, students knew about Discord and Slack, well, Discord specifically, way before I knew what Discord was. I was like, what is that? I was like, is that like a gaming thing, like Twitch? And then I looked into it, but like, you know, inherently sometimes I, I, I look at what students are doing and I'm like, y'all are doing great things. I'm like, how can we get you in front of other groups so you can teach them how to use these things? Because I don't know about Discord. I know what it does, but like, I can't tell you how it functions. Same with Slack. Like it's, it's like this cool little thing that I'm like on, but I can't give you the ins and outs of it. Yeah, well, and I think that's the cool part about that I really like about my job of working in transition is that a lot of students who are our traditional age students who are coming straight out of high school are coming in with the knowledge of these different platforms or coming in saying, yeah, like, I really know how to use Canvas already because that's what I used in high school or I know how to do like a Google Meet or whatever all those different things are because they unfortunately had the end of their high school experiences in this virtual setting as well. And so they came into the college setting with a pretty good foundational knowledge and uh, set of skills of saying, okay, yeah, I know how to meet people virtually to some degree. Um, but it is cool to see, okay, what can we do as an office that works with transition to help norm some of those things to say, okay, those are some things that you'll actually have to continue doing while you're here but it's not like it's any different from what you've done before. Like you can still start a group chat or you can still um, do study groups with people or do group projects and all of that, but it's just gonna be through camera instead of meeting in person. So a lot of the work that I do is just norming those experiences and helping students realize like, yeah, maybe some students who've been here for three or four years might've had a different experience, but this is the new normal and this is how um, you can still make the most out of your college experience. I also love that because I think one th one place where I feel like we're struggling is we can plan fantastic online programs, um, but so much of the college experience is, is these organic creation of friendships and of communities. Like um, Agassiz talked about this before, you know, just staying after class to talk to someone or, hey, do you want to just 
you know, grab coffee together. And I think empowering students to know that these resources, like you can, you can use them without us. You can, you know, use Discord, that's what it's called, or Slack to form study groups. And we don't, we don't have to be the ones who control it. And I think the more we can normalize it and say, yeah, it's different. You, you know, just sitting in a class, working on a group project with someone, not going to be the same for at least now. How are other ways that you can do that? And that's, you know, totally fine. But I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, we can do so much, but we also need to empower our students for those moments that we're not there. And, um, you know, my favorite thing from grad school was talking about third place. And students, third place is now not going to be that campus coffee shop, but it might be, you know, that, um, that Zoom room where they all play Among Us which is my new favorite game. And they just, you know, hang out and do stuff together. And that's where they create community. And that's good too. I guess, I know you're so excited about that. Yes, we can play together. Well, I was going to ask that, but I was also going to suggest, Erica, what if for an episode, we did like an Among Us stream, you know, very a la AOC. I was going to uh, say, we did it like our girl. Do it like our girl, uh, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll talk offline. We'll talk offline. offline. Jen, you're played, definitely invited. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, can I be invited to this? It's um, all yes. What if it was all of our past guests? <gasps> that'd be great. Erica, that'd be great for like an anniversary them. episode. We're almost coming up on one year. That'd be good. Oh okay. my gosh! Okay, we're logging, logging in. We're good. We're logging. We're logging. So, Jen, what are some things that you wish that your colleagues knew, or others generally knew about the work that you were doing right now? Yeah, so I think something that my team has been talking about a lot is what is this role of the support system or family that these students are coming in with? Um, so I think that so often in higher ed and in student affairs, we're so quick to be like, FERPA, we don't want to talk to you, family members, and all that kind of stuff. But I think now more than ever, it's really important to say, okay, we understand that you are coming in with these support systems. So how can we work to build on top of that and not try to replace those support systems with what we're offering. Because they think, I mean, if you think about it, if you're a college student coming in and you automatically hear, hey, you have to be completely independent. Don't listen to anybody else except for all the resources and things that we're giving to you. I feel like that's not really helping us build trust with the students. And so how do we acknowledge those relationships that they already have with the most important people in their lives or the people who have gotten to them gotten them to this point so far and how are we also providing resources and education for those support systems and family members because sometimes they can be our biggest advocates as people who provide support to students um, on our campuses because um, I mean I I'm even just thinking right now about a situation where one of my student employees was having a conversation with the student who had said hey I'm really struggling with finding um, a good way to study for one of my classes. And the student employee did a really great job of saying, hey, here's what I did, or here's how I've heard some of my friends doing this, but also here are some great resources um, for tutoring and all of that kind of stuff. And the student said, yeah, like I appreciate that, but I think I'm actually gonna go ask my family about what I should do first. Um, so I think even just seeing it in that conversation where a student is more likely, especially when they're first starting to go and consult the people in their lives before they come to us who are complete strangers. So how do we kind of marry those two sides together and figure out a way to continue to help the student grow in their community and not try to replace it? I love everything you're talking about, for sure. Like the idea, I 
the idea of going to college and having to turn away from your family, I think it's just in and of itself is just so problematic. Um, and I know that we received those signals. Like I remember very, you know, I remember being a first year student and kind of receiving this message of like, you're an adult, you make your decisions, like you need to do what's best for you, which is, it's, it's not false. Like you do, like you are now like in this, in a new environment, you do need to make good decisions, but that also doesn't mean that you discard everything of who you were from the past. And it almost reminds me of like how first gen students often feel as though they have like a split, you know, they have like um, multiple personalities just because they have this like, here, I, who is who I am at school and I'm this person, but my family doesn't understand this part of me because they don't have experience with these things. So like, there's only so much I can talk about with my family at times. And even I know if I've heard colleagues, you know, you brought up the FERPA thing, that's very spot on. The idea is like, well, we don't talk to parents. We work with the students it's like, yeah, but like, understand it once again, especially with the uh, campus, I'm sure is at USF where so much of it is commuter, like students are living at home already, even before, even before the pandemic or even before all the, alter, all the, the impacts of, of COVID, you know, students were living at home and still living in those environments. And you're right, Jen, like they're going to talk to their parents. And that also reminds me of students who come from like minoritized, like racial and ethnic identities. Like that is family is such a strong support system. You can't just tell students like, Hey, you're like, you're a big boy now. Like you gotta, you gotta do what's right for you. Like I've heard people say, why is this parent reaching out to me? I'm like, well, because they're worried. Of course, they're reaching out to you. Are you kidding? I remember when I went to college and I told my mom, mom, yeah, I stayed, I stayed up late at like uh, till midnight. And I was in the library. She goes, but no one's checking in on you. Like no one went to your room to make sure you were there. I was like, no mom, like it's, it's like different. But like, again, like sometimes parents don't understand like what does college look like? And now that so much of it is at home and so much of it is online, like parents are seeing what it's like. They see what a college class is like because there's students in their living room or in the bedroom, maybe potentially on these classes. So it's almost like we're helping to invite families into this conversation and you're right. They are a support system. They can be advocates. I've, I've had multiple calls and multiple emails from family members saying, my daughter is really lonely and in her room, what can I do to help? Because they, can, they hear it, they're on the front lines. You know, more likely than not, they're the first people to hear what's going on. Well, and I think I, what I'm hearing and what I'm sort of pulling together is, is a couple of things, right? We need to all work together on this, that our family members are part of this conversation and that, you know, online learning is, as you're right, Agassi, bringing family members more and more into this in, in, in a unique way. And I'm seeing that a lot too, because they're like, well, I'm seeing my student crying. It's not just the phone call, I'm seeing it happen. And I think what we need to do is, you know, pull up a chair, pull up the proverbial haystack, sit down around the campfire and just talk about these things. That was such a bad one, but I think two bad ones make one okay one and I'm gonna stick with it. But seriously, like we can't always use FERP as an excuse. How do we continue to include our families? Because I did sort of an informal poll in my class that I teach and asked students, when you're stressed, who do you talk about? And the number one thing was family, which I sort of thought would be like college friends or mentors. It was family and then it was friends at home. Then it was friends at UF. But their their family members, all my students are first gen, so that makes a little more sense. But yes, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's certainly not the sort of piece I thought you would have mentioned, and I'm really glad you did. I think that's probably a great wrapping up point. Again, you know, we all sat around this imaginary campfire on our haystacks, and you know, we really really talked about some good stuff. So Jen, thank you for joining us today. It was so much fun to have you. I'm just a couple hours south of me. I'm going to go to that restaurant whose name I've already forgot, but I'll re-listen to this episode and get to Lakeland to get that beignet. Um, but we're so happy that you joined us. 
Yeah, thanks for having me all. This, this was awesome. And I'm always happy to talk about transition and all the great things in life. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jen. And thanks to everybody for joining us for the first five years sponsored by SAXA. If you want to learn more about SAXA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, as always, they are on all the things. Facebook.com Facebook backslash SAXA fan page, Twitter at SAXA tweets, Instagram at SAXA grams. Cannot forget to thank Miles um, and Erica Lee for producing our episode. Agassiz, your social channels, please. Very exciting. You can find me on Twitter at Agassi underscore R. That is A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. And what about you, Erica? I am at Erica M underscore Aguiar. That's A-G-U-I-A-R. And Jen, if they want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so I am not big in the Twitter world, but the best way to connect with me professionally is actually on LinkedIn. So you can go ahead and just search for my name, Jen, with one N, J-E-N, low, and L-O-H. So find me on there. You heard it here first, folks. Connect on LinkedIn. Agassi, we need to update ours. We do need to update ours. I was literally just about to say that. Erica, get out of my head. Stop Bye. it. Stop it. Well, thanks, everyone, once again for listening. We hope to talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.